This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Today we have Lisa Yazik. She is a professor of science fiction studies at the School of Literature and Media Communication at Georgia Tech, kind of a little bit down the road from where we are, a few hours actually, because I'm in North Carolina at the moment. So, but yeah, cool. Great to have you on the podcast talking about your work and uh, and your studies. If I were still in college, that would be something I would gravitate to. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me here, Tony. I'm, I'm excited to chat with you today. This was a no brainer when it was pitched to me. It was like, are you kidding? <laughs> are you serious? But uh, but yeah, it was really easy. I, I do like your computer antiques back there, too, which is kind of neat. Yeah, well, they're actually uh, video game boxes. They're all new. They're re-releases of old games. Oh, wow. And so they're multi-arcades. So I think we've got, and the one back there is like Defender and a couple other games, maybe I want to say, we've got, no, the Ms. Pac-Man one is downstairs. So, but each <laughs> one's got like four or five different games on it. So it's pretty cool. Wow. wow. But yeah. they're a lot like, they're just like the old school ones. Like once you get in and start playing them, you're like, yeah, this feels familiar. Wow, so, that's great. That's yeah. Great. Science fiction is something I was indoctrinated in very young uh, Twilight Zone Star Trek. What drew you to it? Uh, much like you, I was indoctrinated in an early age. My parents were both huge science fiction fans and especially fans of the new wave. And so science, experimental science fiction, right, of the 60s and 70s. And sure. literally my very first memory in the world is watching Star Trek reruns with my parents and eating mm -hmm. carrots from our organic garden. And so obviously it was destined to either do something in science fiction or agriculture. And I'm kind of glad I went for science fiction. Well, we are too, no doubt about it. And I'm very glad you did. Stay tuned for more sci-fi talk with Tony Tolado. One of the things that you write about are women in science fiction. And in yeah. my lifetime, I've seen a change. Amazing. Uh, like you have a book, Sisters of Tomorrow, the first women of science fiction, which is very important to point out. You know, the pioneers, <laughs> you know, the pioneers yep. and also galactic suburbia yeah. recovering women's science fiction. Yeah. So is there a lot that's sort of lost as far as, you know, from women writers from days in the past? Um, surprisingly, yes, quite a bit of it has been lost. And so one of the things that I've found as I, I, I got into this because Actually, I was teaching my very first science fiction class at Georgia Tech, and I thought, you know, surely there are some other authors from like the 40s and 50s besides Asimov and Heinlein and, and Clark that we could do, you know, along with them, but, but maybe we could broaden the field. And so I was looking through, we have a huge science fiction collection at Georgia Tech. We're one of the top 20 collections in the world. So I was going back through our old anthologies and I was stunned to see how many women were collected like in the best of fantasy and science fiction and the best of galaxy. And even astounding with John Campbell, who was notoriously kind of anti-women in science fiction, even he was publishing some really amazing women. And so I was like, what the heck? Where did all these women go and why have we lost them? And then mm. when I went back even further to look at the pulps from the, you know, from the radium age, like 19 aughts to the 1930s, once again, there were a bunch of women there and it was really exciting. And that was including fans and authors and artists and editors. And I thought, how interesting that that women, you know, we tend to think about women writing science fiction in periods of like high political activity and high feminist activity. And we forget that women continue to love science fiction and write about it in both feminist and non-feminist terms in between those times as well. 
And we really owe a lot to women in terms of how the genre has developed. Um, if you enjoy good literary characterization, thank the women for that, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the original Star Trek, for example, um, a lot of the women had to work as assistants to the producers to get their writing gigs. D.C. Fontana, who wrote some amazing episodes, as you well know, on the show, I think she wrote uh, Spock's love story in season one, This Side of Paradise. That makes sense. uh, I mean, she was just an amazing writer in her own right. And Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm glad that she got the opportunity to voice, uh, you know, her work on Star Trek. So, yeah, unfortunately, that's the way it was in those days. You had you kind of had to prove that you could do the job rather than just saying, well, here's my work. Take a look at it. You know, right. Yeah. 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 And you're right. There are a number of uh, like I can think about writers from the science fiction community. uh, Was it um, Eleanor Busby, F.M. Busby's wife? And and people always treated her as F.M. Busby's wife. But she won what she was the first woman to win a Hugo. And she wrote some amazing science fiction um, on her own under her own name. But it was like 20 years after she had been working on the fanzines with her husband and other men. So uh, you're right. I think that that was definitely a path through for a lot of women early on was if their husband or brother or or guy friends were writing it like that could become a path in for them. Sure. Wow. What did these early women writers write about? You know, I'm curious as to the subject matter, because unfortunately, I'm not that familiar with them because they're not readily available, which is a crime in itself. Right. So um, and I, so first of all, they're becoming more readily available in oh, two good. different ways that I'd love to share with people. First of all, it's really exciting. Fans are amazing. Fans have always preserved and disseminated real science fiction history for us. And now fans are continuing that by starting to scan all the old pulp magazines that are off copyright and uploading them. So uh, Hugo Gernsback, for all he talked about people patenting their ideas, he never copyrighted his run on Amazing Stories. It's all free and it's all available online. So that's very exciting. And also, I'm going to toot my own horn here for a moment. I'm an editor for the Library of America in their science fiction series, and I edit their Future is Female series, which is our women's short stories uh, from the 1920s to the present. And so we're also collecting and bringing those stories back out. So the first book, we do the 1920s to the 1960s up until uh, the beginning of feminist science fiction. And then book two is feminist science fiction, the 1970s. And I was thinking about D.C. Fontana as I was writing this, for sure. She was definitely one of those pioneers. Well, so, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. That is so awesome to put they're that around. out They're Excited. Yeah, yeah it's very I, exciting. It's, it's it is. fantastic, and it's, actually. Thank you. And when it's cool, because when you teach it, young kids, they're like, oh, my gosh, these people are we're dealing with the same issues 100 years ago and 50 years ago that we are now. And yeah. it gives them a wonderful connection to history. That's what science fiction does so well. Yeah. So I'm sorry, but I got distracted. Let me get back to your question about (laughs) um, what women wrote about. So in short, women wrote about all the same things men did, but they added a few things in. And one of the things you'll find, obviously, strong female characters and not just token women, like, you know, not just Dale Arden hanging out with Flash Gordon and the boys, but groups of women often working together to win new kinds of futures for all and often working with men as well. So sort of these exciting communal kind of activity stories, which if you think about it, is totally what science fiction is about. It's always about groups of people working together to build the future. Um, So that's really cool. And perhaps we even owe that to women that they really showed us when we said all people, we meant all people, right? Mm -hmm. 
The other thing that women do that's really exciting is they remind us that most of us don't really experience the future on the, in the laboratory or on the launch pad. Most of us really have our first experiences of the future in much more mundane ways, in the home, in the K through 12 classroom, et cetera. And so a lot of times women would either completely shift focus so that the dramas unfolded in homes or classrooms, or brought sort of the ethics of caring and uh, attention to relationships that we associate with caretaking and homemaking and brought that into uh, the laboratory and the launch pad and showing how my favorite is a story by Leslie Stone uh, called Into the Void, where a man and a woman are trapped on a spaceship. They thought they were going to Mars. They shoot past Mars. They've got a, a few months till they get to the next destination. And they spend all their time having competitions about who can roll the best cigarettes and who can wash the dishes the most efficiently. And I just love that kind of detail. It feels so real. And yeah. I think that maybe that's something else women brought to the genre, like that attention to detail that helps build the world. You know, H.G. Wells always said, if you want your fantastic stories to work, you have to build a mundane world to launch from. And I think women really took that to heart and, and really showed us how to do it. Oh, yeah. World building is so important. I, I've been lucky. I've actually um, had I, and and this is the biggest change I've seen women directors on my podcast, uh, women yes. writers yes. Um, and actors, especially in, like in a lead role, for example, in films and television. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. been awesome. I'm, I'm covering the Mayfair Witches, which is horror, but it's all about a family of right. uh, a hierarchy of women. Yeah. They, they, they kind of run everything, which is really cool. Yeah. And not only that, but behind the scenes, uh, I talked to a woman special effects artist and how difficult it was for her to break in to the industry. Yes. Yeah. And she says something that's very true these days, even, even these days, a lot of times she was the only woman in the room with mm -hmm. the rest of the technical crew. Mm -hmm. But she says now she'll notice at least another one or another <laughs> two or three. So it's, it's right. changing. And it has changed for the better in, in my lifetime. And even in the media that we watch, you know, like the empowerment right. of Buffy, for example. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and and really, we see women now in uh, in roles of power, uh, yeah. you know, making key decisions. Uh, yeah. In Star Trek, Captain Janeway. Uh, oh who, yeah, I love Captain Janeway. She was the best. <laughs> who inspired a lot of women, and there's even mm -hmm. a uh, a bust of her that's in, in her birthplace, in <laughs> her fictional birthplace. They actually yep. put a bust of her there for people to enjoy. So right. it's been uh, it's been gratifying to see that. We still have a long way to go for equality for everyone, but at least in media, we're kind of taking we're take we're, it's kind of leading the way. And even you I see that so. on television and movies, yes. commercials yeah, especially, you really see that. You know, yeah, there's been such a, a radical shift in. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's been coming for a while, right? Yeah. Like at least since the '60s and '70s, but. And we've seen, I think, a bump of it again in the last 10 or 15 years, especially because we're seeing, I think in part because we're seeing a fourth wave of feminism. And, and it's a new wave that a lot of men are involved in as well. It's a much more sort of ally and intersectional kind of friendly, not a friendly feminism. There's a lot of angry young people out there. But you know what I mean? Like excited to change the future for us. And I think that that's pretty cool. And a lot of them are in the art forms and yeah. and want to do exciting and, and diverse things. Absolutely. We were just watching in one of my classes, early feminist uh, science fiction film, of which most of it's pretty avant-garde and surreal. 
until you get to right this, the the 80s and 90s um and we just watched Lizzie Borden's Born in Flames from 1983 hmm. and I said we, and when we get to the scene with the white journalists I said look look there that's Catherine Bigelow she's going to become the first woman to do a lot of science fiction directing in Hollywood and they're all like oh so cool so that was really nice. neat for them to sort of see where a tradition that you're right is just beginning to emerge where it's where it's born Mm -hmm. I, I think men and women, I've seen this change happen slowly, but it's happening that our roles are, are changing and have changed. Yeah. yeah, Like some men are house husbands and absolutely run the household I, while the women work. Yeah. Instead of the traditional 1950s, uh, you know, the way where mm -hmm. men, you know, men was the breadwinner and women took care of the kitchen and everything yeah. else and had babies. But now yeah. women are having babies and having a career. You're always better at multitasking anyway, I thought, than men are. So. Well, I think that as men get to practice that in the home, they'll get better at multitasking, too. <laughs> Um, so. It's right. It's having to do what people call second shift labor, right? Where you do doing yeah. all your work out in the paid world, paid work, as well as your your domestic work. Mm -hmm. And I think as men begin to experience that, like I said, they'll they'll also get good at multitasking. I believe in you. You can all do it. It'll yeah. be great. All right. right thanks. So, I appreciate that. <laughs> I read somewhere that the thing that brought more men into the home than anything else was not never feminism, but actually the microwave. That as soon as there were cool gadgets in the home, men were like, oh, dude, I'm there. So yeah. <laughs> more gadgets for all then, you know, let's bring them on. Yeah, absolutely. Sci-Fi Talk returns in a moment. You know, you you also uh, you, you deal with a lot of Afrofuturism in your studies, and I think yes. that's awesome. I'll, I'll give you I think it's been around for a while. It's not totally new. But I think a couple of movies really kind of galvanize young people to start yes. going back and reading it. Yes. For example, um, actually a movie that doesn't get enough credit for it is Suicide, the first Suicide Squad movie, because that had a nice mixed cast. It had Latinos mm -hmm. and African-Americans. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought yeah, that was really cool. But the one that really jumpstarted it was the first Black Panther. And then the second one I thought was cool was it was a very woman-centric story and totally believable in that yeah. universe. Angela Bassett was just fantastic, but she's always been fantastic. Yeah, and even, she's always done science fiction. She was in Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days back in the I early 1990s. What a great movie. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Cyberpunk done right in Hollywood. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I actually that mentioned that to Tom Sizemore a, a while ago that he was oh, in yeah? that. Okay, and he cool. got a kick out of that that I remembered that. But I, that movie always made an impression. Kind of give us your perspective on it. I mean, that movie helped, but there is a lot that's out there. And yeah. I, I guess there's a lot of new writers that are kind of exploring Afrofuturism. Yes, absolutely. So I think you're right that really Black Panther turned lots of people on across the world, frankly, onto yeah. Afrofuturism as a really cool kind of storytelling, right? That's definitely... Um, explores issues of science and technology and race in this very entertaining way and that imagines what i like to call futures in full color right that 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 black and brown people can be just as much citizens of the future and leaders of the future as white people and maybe we can all at least temporarily put aside our differences to work on certain problems and build the future super cool stuff um and and i love like the black genius and the black artist and it's such exciting work that just fits in so well with all of the potential of science fiction to imagine better futures. But you're right, we've seen it elsewhere uh, as well. It's really a, a, a cross-media kind of effort. And I've argued actually that it goes all the way back to the colonial era uh, poet Phyllis Wheatley, who um, the enslaved poet who wrote about 
essentially star children escaping the, the slavery on Earth and uh, coasting out to the universe on the, the, the mothership of imagination. And wow. I think that's pretty cool, especially because one time, you know, of course, we've really seen a mothership with um, in the 70s, right, with George Clinton and Parliament. And Clinton right. himself always said the mothership is not just a literal thing. It's a metaphor for imagination. So I think it's cool, right? Afrofuturism is older than America itself. And it's such an American form. It's pretty, pretty cool. It is but cool. yeah, if you want to look at Afrofuturism uh, beyond Black Panther, I, I can give a few like contemporary recommendations for Please. sure. Yeah. So with if you want if you're a print reader and especially if you like novels, I would recommend NK Jemison's Broken Earth series. Um all three of the novels won the Hugo Awards. I think it was 2015 to 2017 and she was the first author of any race or gender to win three Hugos in a war in a row. And then I believe she went on and won a fourth Hugo the next year for one of her short stories for The City We Became. So uh, what a marvelous author and so inventive and and her stories are they're beautiful and her characters you're just so they're just so cool. They're cool to they're cool to travel the world with. I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> so, um, and they travel cool worlds. So there's that as well. I like um, that. So I think those are are lovely. They're they're hard stories. Some of them. Uh, I think like the city we became is a little less hard. It's such a celebration of art and urban life. But you know the 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 trilogy wants you to think some deep thoughts about the connection between the way we treat each other and the way we treat the earth. And I think that that's important stuff we should be talking about and all like my friends always say in a rip roaring good read there you now go. yeah now if you're more of a music person i mean obviously janelle monet is the real go-to artist for afrofuturism right yeah. and especially since every album engages the history of science fiction and and sort of recasts it as as, as with black people as the history of fiction and then uh more recently her um emotion picture, right, um, of Dirty Computer, where she does an hour-long video that uh, go, that uh, goes along with the album. Just so beautiful and so exciting. I love teaching it in class because after my students have studied the history of science fiction and film, they watch her do um, all of this stuff in Dirty Computer, and they're like, oh, that's from this film, and that's from this film, and oh, here's how she's updating this, and here's how she updates that. And I think that's really cool. Oh, yeah, so, that's fantastic. Yeah. If you're into uh, role-playing games, I would love to um, suggest a role-playing game for people. It's called Grandma's Hands, and it's by Balagun Ojitati. He's a he's a, a local, a fellow Atlantean here, or AT alien, I guess we could call ourselves. He is. It was uh, Hugo nebulated or Hugo nomula, nominated. Yes. Well, too early in the morning. Oh, Hugo nominated. Uh, RPG, and it's so cool, and it reimagines the history of superheroes uh, in terms of young Black people and especially little wow. kids. It's really fun. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome. That sounds yeah. really awesome. I, I do have to mention, uh, because uh, I was lucky enough to, uh, I was at a science fiction convention in Long, Long Island and I, mm -hmm. years ago, and I shared a uh, a van ride with her to uh, to the convention center, Octavia wow. Butler. Oh, was, my goodness. And so I told her, um, I said, oh, Ms. Butler, I got to tell you that uh, that Avery Brooks from Star Trek Deep Space Nine says you're one of his favorite authors. And she goes, oh, wow, that's really nice. Aww. And that was our only encounter. And of course, she passed away. And I was a little disturbed recently that her series Kindred was canceled. I guess part of the criticism is that it's too much like Outlander. Uh, folks, she wrote it way before Outlander came out. So it's not 
you know, it's not, it's its own thing. And she was also tackling issues of, you know, what it was like to be a slave and in the pre- the past and the present yeah. dealing with it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I'm really sorry that didn't get the chance it deserved to uh, develop yeah. it. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry about that, too. You know, the other thing I was sorry to see get canceled was the CW's Tom Swift series. I thought recasting yes. Tom Swift, boy inventor, as a rich, queer black guy was utterly brilliant. And yes. I thought the show had a lot of class and sass and style. And it's really a shame the CW didn't give it time to sort of find its feet. Um, and I know what happens to other shows, but it always uh, stinks when it happens to something new you're really excited about. And especially when it's in a new kind of storytelling. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, we'll we'll hope that other other shows will get to stay on the air and um, and that will continue to get new new shows. Yeah, I mean, the CW just went through a sale. So that was one of the casualties besides that most sense. of the most of the Arrowverse is gone. I think there's yeah, yeah, that okay. two shows left. Yeah. Uh, Superman and Lois, which is a really cool talk about redefining their relationship. As oh, parents. yeah. I cool. thought that oh, was, wow. I thought that was really cool. That's and, cool. Uh, and, and Lois will, uh, you know, will more than give her two cents to Clark. And yes. uh, they'll argue a little more, which is really, really cool to see that. And the two actors, I mean, Tyler is just killing it as Superman. And uh, and Bitsy, yeah. I, I mean, I saw her on Grimm, and, and she's a terrific lady. And I interviewed her husband as well, uh, David Mentoli, oh, cool. who was the lead on Grimm, and that's how they met. The best place to see really good content these days is not on the networks anymore or or satellite stations. It's really streaming. I mean, that's. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's been a lot of uh, really exciting stuff that happens there. I think, right. It's a little bit like the visual equivalent of the pulp magazines because there's a sort of it's, it's aimed at more niche audiences and there's less worry about having to recoup like uh, millions and billions of dollars that there's a little more freedom to experiment and, and try exciting things like just to loop back to sense eight for a minute, which was really exciting. Um, Yes. And there was a, a British time travel sl- show I really liked as well that I saw on streaming. I think it was called Clockstop. But yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic to hear that. I talked to some of those folks at Sense8 when the series was running. And uh, yeah. that was really cool. That yeah. was one of my disappointments as well. I think that deserved a lot of, uh, you know, deserved a lot more than it got. Uh, I mean, yeah. even, even the streaming network sometimes can pull the plug too soon. But, uh, well, I mean, right, isn't it Netflix is pretty famous for that, right? Yeah, that they'll they start are. a show for a season or two. Uh, one of my um, one of my blogs I watch ha- or read has a, a, a specific section every month for things you need to watch now before Netflix takes it away from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so before um, we go, I want to ask your opinion yeah. about a movie that I, I thought was talk about the pulps and everything. Right. Um, I, it's Captain Something Man of Tomorrow with Jude Law was in it. Okay. Told in a very 1930s style, and uh, and actually, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was uh, the female lead, kind of like the um, in the vein of Rosalind Russell and uh, you know that kind of uh, that kind of strong woman from the 30s mm-hmm. and 40s. Yeah, that, that we saw sense. a little bit of, and and then it yeah kind of went away for a while. Yep. But, yep. but it's a such a great movie, and uh, yeah, it it was such a nostalgic. I mean, it had huge robots. I mean, it was so many pulp elements on it. 
I mm-hmm. highly recommend it. it. It's really a cute little movie. Oh, I would love to check it out. It sounds really great. Um, I like movies that do that kind of retrofuturism that go back and sort of explore those earlier images and not always turning them into dystopias either. Like I, I was at um, Tomorrowland with George Clooney. I thought that was a pretty cool movie yeah, too, yeah. actually. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. You know. Yeah, visually, just what a treat to see the way it was set up, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what are you working on anything right now? Yes, I actually am. I am. Uh, I've just actually finished up a new book. It's a it's a companion to gender and science fiction. It's a more scholarly work, but um, we're really excited to bring it out. And we're hoping it's going to really define the conversations about gender and science fiction for the next you know, decade. And the other thing that I'm working on right now is um, a book for MIT Press on Frances Stevens, the pioneering um, pulp fiction writer. She's often called the mistress of dark fantasy, right? And is really talked about as perhaps having inspired people like H.P. Lovecraft and um, forgetting other names right now, but that whole crew of people who wrote for Weird Tales. And one of the things that we really want to do is uh, think about her uh, more in relation to the women's history of science fiction and her relationship to the other women who were starting to write science fiction and fantasy at that time. And wow. also how she didn't just inspire men like H.P. Lovecraft, but women like C.L. Moore. And so we're really excited about that. And it's been fascinating to go back through her biography, and sort of explore where she grew up and like what was going on with uh, race and gender relations at the time and politics. And we're like, she's really a woman of her time. And we think that's super exciting. And the other thing I love about her is we talk about her as a fantasy writer, but she literally wrote a story in every one of the new genres that was out there. So she has a feminist utopian story and a sort of Edgar Allan Poe type horror story and then um, a lot like a Lost World story. And even then, well, I'm not going to talk about any more of them because I want you all to buy the book. So (laughs) come and find the many different things that Frances Stevens uh, wrote about. But she's really it's exciting to see how much she shaped the genre. Like my students, I have my students read the stories and they say, this is so cliched. We've seen this a jillion times. And I'm like, she invented the cliche. And they get very excited about that. Yeah, it's not a cliche if you're the first one. (laughs) No, that's exactly it. And so they're pretty blown away. Like she um, wrote what we think is the first superhero, modern superhero origin story in 1904. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yes. Wow, (laughs) that's the way it works, you know? There's always somebody that, it's not. It's hard to have an original original idea because everybody yep. borrows from any, any, anything. But uh, I think that as long as you can get an innovative twist on it and get your readers there, that that's really you've done your job, right? And mm-hmm. that's part of genre fiction isn't just about doing the brand new, but about marrying the brand new with what's already been established to take it mm-hmm. in new directions. So, yeah. so if my listeners might recognize your name, you were just on James Cameron's Story of Science Fiction for AMC, yes. which was a, a good yeah. series, mm-hmm. and. You're also a past president of the Science Fiction Research Association, which is yes. cool. And um, his, it's fun. we talked about John Campbell. Uh, mm-hmm. You're also a juror for the John W. Campbell and Yuki Foster Science Fiction Awards, which is great. Give yes. me your input there. And I think that's fantastic. So I'm so glad to talk to somebody who is still very immersed in this and, and really inspiring other minds, young minds, to continue and to explore this area, which um, I think as AI and space travel continues to develop in our lifetime, in their lifetime, science fiction is going to be all around them. So uh, it's it's a worthy genre these days. 
Yeah. Thanks so much for, for, for the kind words. And I'm glad I can share my enthusiasm, especially at a school like Georgia Tech, where we really do have the people who are going to science and engineer and public policy the future for us. And, and yes, I did just turn those into verbs because that's what we do in science fiction, right? That's right. And <laughs> we make new words all the time. And, and so it's exciting to see these students get fired up about the stories they're reading and, and to start to think about, like, how can I bring some of that into my own practice? All um, right. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Professor, it's an honor to talk to you, and I'd love to have you back because there's a lot more to talk about that we will. I would love to come back, Tony. Thanks. Any time would be wonderful. That sounds great. All okay. right. Thank you. And thank thank you. you. And have a good one. Take care. Yep.